Hey everybody, welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are doing awesome. I am recording this podcast intro on a Monday night. We had a really awesome service yesterday. It was, uh, I feel like I say this every week, and I don't want to be that guy, but it was one of my favorite weeks we've ever had. Um, The music was awesome. Uh, I I just feel like the band is really dialed in and communicating really well and playing some songs that are really important to them to us as a church and uh really good songs to sing and also it was a great sermon from hannah um she did something that i'm so proud of her and um so proud to be a part of a church that would do something like this and basically she talked about a story that a lot of people probably know or have heard about, and that is the story of Jacob wrestling God, an angel. I'm not really sure. He Jacob wrestled somebody for a long time, and it's a really weird story. And the the verses and the the things that are written kind of don't make a whole lot of sense. And she didn't say, "Hey guys, here's what it is." I know all the answers. I work at a church and because I do, I know truth and I'm going to tell you truth. And there's no other way to think of that truth. Um, We don't want to be the type of church that does that. Yes. We think we have some pretty cool takes and interpretations and we think we get some things right sometimes, (laughs) obviously, but we don't mind admitting whenever, you know, we don't have the answers and we're kind of confused about stuff and, we're not really sure. And so that's kind of how Hannah started out yesterday was uh, admitting that she was even considering changing the subject of the message because it's a really weird story and she wasn't 100% sure where to take it. So that's the backdrop of this sermon that I hope you will really enjoy as much as I did. Um, I think it's a very awesome interpretation of the story and Uh, It was great. It was a really good journey, and I love where she brought us and what she left us with. She um, used a lot of language about, like, not letting go, and God's not going to let go of us. And we followed it up with a Switchfoot song called uh, I Won't Let You Go, and it was a really cool moment. So if you were there, thank you so much for being there. It was awesome. If you watched online... Uh, that's super cool. And if you didn't do either of those things, now you get to hear the sermon, but you don't get to hear the song. (laughs) But if you want to just go to Spotify, look up Switchfoot. I won't let you go and listen to it after Hannah's sermon. And I think you will dig it. Don't forget to let us know if you want to join our super chill book club. Uh, it technically started today, Monday, the day I'm recording this. Uh, but it's so chill that, um, the questions are up now. And they will be up for a whole week. So you have a whole week to read the prologue and interact with the questions. And then next week we'll do chapter one and so on. Um, Just shoot us an email, hello at diffchurch.com. And we will add you to our private Facebook group. Um, Also go to diff.church and fill out the connection card. Uh, You can get on the mailing list. And that way we can keep you updated on if anything changes. Uh, And you can give us feedback. Let us know what you'd like to see more of, less of none of lots of i don't know <laughs> that was fun um that's it let's jump into hannah's message what should we call this one i, I didn't think about what i was going to name it 
So we'll name it on the fly right now. Um, can we call it? Oh gosh. Now the podcast is going to suffer because you're going to see that <clears throat> I'm not as creative as you think I am. So we've got to do some sort of like wrestling pun or joke. So like, you know, Hulk Jacob, that's terrible. Uh, WWE with Jacob. That's a really terrible name, but I'm keeping it. Welcome to WWE with Jacob. This morning, I've had some caffeine. <laughs> I've been trying to like chill on the caffeine because I don't want this baby to come out like just freaking out. Um, but I get like, like live for Sunday mornings when I get to have a latte with caffeine in it. I just limit myself to one a week and it's just so delightful. And then you get to have the benefit of me being like, yes, caffeine. So this morning we get to talk about Jacob. And if you've been around church for a while, you may have heard of him. He is one of the founding fathers of the Israelites because, you know, there was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, which is technically not true. He had like two. Um, but Isaac was one of them. And Abraham begat Isaac, which is a fancy Bible word for Abraham had a kid named Isaac. And then Isaac had a kid named Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 kids. Actually, he had many, many more. But, you know, we only list the boys in the Bible. So Jacob had 12 sons, one of which was Joseph, who wore the coat of many colors, did the whole thing in Egypt. And all 12 of these sons eventually had tribes of Israel named after him, named after them. So... All we think about is we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Delightful. But Isaac actually had two sons. And the first one was named Esau. Now, Esau and Jacob were twins, but Esau was born first. Which, no big deal, right? Who cares? Except, apparently, it was a big deal. Because even though it was, you were technically twins, same DNA, same everything, Esau was born first, so he got way more cool points. He got a double portion of the inheritance, which means like if there's three of you, you would think that your parents' estate would be divided three ways. No, the firstborn would get two and you would get to split the other one portion that is left. You get one quarter portion. So they get their firstborn birthright, which is a double portion of the inheritance. They also get a firstborn blessing, apparently a big deal, and a bunch of other perks like status and accolades and just being, you know, getting to lord that over your sibling for the rest of your life, which I'm sure, you know, everyone enjoys. So Esau gets all of this stuff because he's first. Now, what do we know about Jacob? Not that great of a guy, honestly. Like, for the founding fathers of Israel the nation, Jacob, not so good of a person. Like, from birth, it seems like he had a chip on his shoulder. He just wanted, he just felt like he deserved more than he got. He's a bit jealous. He's very petty. Um, also very intelligent and very, like, scheme-oriented. He just planned out how to get what he wanted his whole life. And he did quite a few shady things. One of which was he stole his brother's birthright. So this... I feel like this is a ridiculous story. This is like a story that you would make a cartoon about, not a story that you would find like in the word of God, the Bible. But it's in there, and I'm just going to give you my version of the story, a paraphrase, and then we'll read a little bit later. 
So Jacob wants Esau's birthright. We can't have it because he wasn't born first. You'd think that would be the end of that. No, no. Jacob has a plan. Esau goes hunting, not for fun, for food, because it was like his job to provide some food. And he is completely unsuccessful. He comes home hangry. And Jacob, knowing that he has been unsuccessful, goes out a little bit away from the camp, and he builds this little fire, and he cooks a stew that apparently smelled delicious. I guess he was a chef. And Esau comes home, and he's like, oh, give me some of that food. And Jacob says, I will give you some food because I love you, but only if you give me your birthright. And then Esau's like, sounds like a good deal. And then gives him his birthright. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons about how dumb Esau is. Like, oh, Esau was a man's man. He went out and he did the hunting and the working, but he didn't have very much of a brain. Jacob was the only one with a brain. Why would you give away your birthright for a bowl of soup? We just need to probably remember that it's very likely that these were teenagers. <laughs> they were not full-grown adults. And as we all know, teenagers make the most logical, well-researched, peer-reviewed decisions. <laughs> so I don't think we should blame Esau for this. I think we should blame his parents. Like, there's no take-backs. Like, they didn't get back to the camp, and Esau's like, yeah, I gave him my birthright for, you know, soup. And Isaac and their mom wasn't like, no, <laughs> give it back. You're grounded forever. Like, this is not how this works. Apparently, that didn't happen. I don't understand at all. Apparently, it stands. That's not the only thing Jacob does. He then steals Esau's firstborn blessing, which, again, apparently a big deal. So Isaac is old. He's kind of senile. He's blind, practically. And he's about to die. And the kids are like, yes, got to go get last words from my dad. He's going to bless me. It's going to be wonderful. And Jacob hatches this plot. He, he wants to steal the firstborn blessing. Apparently, there's not enough blessings to go around. So Jacob puts on Esau's clothes and then puts animal hair on his arms because apparently Esau is very hairy like a bear, which I think is the most strange detail to include in the story, in the Bible. But he puts animal hair on, and he goes to see his dad, who can't see him. And Isaac says out loud, you sound like Jacob, but you smell like Esau. And then he feels his arms, and he's like, and you are very hairy. <laughs> so you must be Esau. So he gives him the firstborn blessing. Jacob leaves. Esau comes. And Isaac's like, oh, no. I thought this other hairy person was you. I've already given away your blessing so you can have a lesser blessing. Again, no tickbacks. Not like, oh, you clearly lied and tricked your way into this, so that doesn't count. I take back everything I said to you, and I give it to the person that it belongs to. Isaac didn't think about that at all. And also, Isaac actually had questions. Like, what kind of a person says, you sound, you don't sound right, but you feel hairy, so I'm just going to bless you anyways. Like, there probably was tons of people around. He couldn't have been like, can someone please verify who this person is in front of me before I give away the most important blessing of my life to the wrong person? This is a life lesson. Ask for help, my dudes. <laughs> like, Isaac could have fixed this with, like, a sentence. I don't know. I just feel like all around, not great parenting. But Esau is obviously 
pretty hot about this. And Jacob thinks he's going to murder him, so he runs away for many years. And this is where we pick up in the story. <laughs> Jacob is a bad person. He's stealing everything from his older brother. And from the moment that they were born, which the Bible says when they was born, he literally like grabbed his brother's foot. Like as he was being born, Esau pops out and Jacob's hand is grabbing his foot. Again, weird detail to include. But from the very beginning, Jacob has been the kind of person who will just do whatever it takes to get what he feels like he deserves. He doesn't have very much concern for ethics. And I feel like neither do his parents. Because they're like, no, we should correct you and make sure you turn out to be a good human. But they're like, no, no. In fact, his mom is the one who helped him hatch the plan to steal his brother's birthright. Wow. Wow, you guys. <laughs> this is the founding person of the entire nation of Israel. So Jacob feels cheated by everybody. He just has this chip on his shoulder. And you know, he has this narrative, right? Like he's just taking what he should be his anyways. He deserves it. He should have been the firstborn. And it's very easy for him to believe this lie because even though he does trick people and lie and deceive people, he actually also is, at the same time, very intelligent. If he wasn't, he probably wouldn't have gotten away with all of this. He works very hard, and so he feels like he does deserve what he gets after all. And after he ran away, he built a whole life for himself. He has family, he has enterprises, he has business, he has all kinds of stuff. And no accountability. Has not faced consequences at all up to this point, other than, you know, Esau was mad and he ran away. But he hasn't actually seen Esau since the day that he took his father's firstborn blessing from him. Jacob is older and wiser now. He turned into a full-grown adult. His brain settled in. And he was like, you know what? I would like to go home. That's a problem, because who's at home running everything now? Esau, the person that he has been fighting with his whole life. So he, he's like, he decides, okay, I really want to go home, though. I'm going to do it, even though it might be bad for me. He has to face his brother. And earlier in chapter 32 in Genesis, which we're going to read a portion of, and I highly recommend you read like a chapter before, like 31, 32, 33. It's quite exciting stuff. Jacob prays this prayer to God, and he's like, God, deliver me from the hand of my brother. In other words, don't let him murder me for what I did to him. Have you ever prayed one of those prayers? Dear God, I know I've done wrong, but please, I don't want to have any consequences for this. Just let nobody find out, or if they do find out, let them not be mad at me, please. And just let me just live my life, okay? I said, oh, sorry, that's good enough, right? Esau, Jacob is very justifiably concerned about how Esau is going to react. So he starts prepping. He's like, I gotta go home. Everyone's on the way. They're taking this whole caravan. And he sends out some messengers to Esau's camp to feel out the situation. He's like, tell him I am on my way home. And I don't need to take anything from him. I'm not going to do anything shady. In fact, I want to give you a gift. I have all these cows and chickens and horses. And they didn't have those animals. They had cows, but like not horses and chickens. They had goats and sheep and stuff that grow in Israel. And so he's like, I have all these animals to give you. 
as a peace offering. I promise I won't be stealing anything from you ever again. Here's a bunch of stuff. Sounds good, right? Throw in a few camels. Everything will be smoothed over. Except, he's literally putting the lives of these messengers in danger. Like, he's actually saying... He wants to feel out the situation. So if Esau wanted to, he could just kill the messenger. That's not a uh, cliche for no reason. He could literally be like, whoa, um, hey, will you who work for me, two people who work for me, will you please go see if my brother's still mad enough to murder me with your own life? Please just go check it out. Feel out the situation. Not a super great way to start. So we don't think maybe Jacob's not, maybe he hasn't grown that much after all. But instead, the messengers do not get killed. They come back and they say, oh, Esau is coming to meet you. He's not even going to wait till you get home. He's bringing 400 people with him to meet you. Which seems a bit excessive, honestly. But maybe he's bringing everyone in his whole life with him. All of these men who work for him. And so Jacob freaks out. He thinks Esau is coming to murder him. And he divides everything in his whole life into two He's like, okay, so we're only going to take 50% of what I own, 50% of the animals, we'll take my family, only 50% of the servants, 50% of my gold, and we're going to hide 50% way over there. In case he burns us to the ground, we'll, you know, I'll still have some money at the end. This is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 32. This is all the background that you need to know. So we're going to read, it's from the NLT version, Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. During the night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives and his two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. Just so you know, this is a completely unrelated, completely unrelated tangent. Every time I read the word Jabbok River, my brain is like, beware the Jabbok, my son. <laughs> and if you get that, then you're my people. <laughs> so he takes his whole family across the river and leaves them there. After taking them to the other side, he went back, and then he sent over all his possessions, but all meaning only 50%. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. Which is, is that a reason to stop a fight? The sun's coming up. I have to go now. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel. Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. And another aside, if you ever see L at the end of a word, it's because L, last week we talked about the divine name for God, which is Yahweh. But it wasn't always Yahweh. 
a long, long time before that, it was El. El was God. This is why Israel is called Israel, not Israyah. And there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole area of research and books and articles. And if you want to dive down that rabbit hole, be my guest of how El and Yahweh relate. Like, were they the same? Did they eventually merge into one God? Was Yahweh El's son? There's all kinds of conflicting arguments about that. But eventually, it becomes Yahweh, this one God that Israel worships. But that's why he names the place Peniel, the face of God, not Peniyah, because Yahweh didn't exist yet. At least the word Yahweh didn't exist yet. So Jacob's already sent these messengers out. He's already divided his camp into two. And then, and this takes the cake, in my opinion, he sends his entire family across the river and leaves them. He sends them across the river closer to Esau. He's literally using his family as a human shield. Surely Esau would think twice before murdering women and children, right? We hope. What a guy. He abandons his own family, retreats across the river. Is it any wonder that God comes to wrestle with Jacob that night? Jacob, who will do literally anything for his own survival, he's like father of the year. Just treats his entire family and his entire workforce as expendable and is like, you go deal with him. I just want to escape with my life because I am more important than all of you. And of course, his understanding of what he deserves and how he has lived his life has served him well for years. After all, he's got a huge family now. He has tons of servants. He has tons of animals. He has tons of money. But now everything he has worked for is threatened. Not by like random attackers, by the long delayed consequences of his own actions. So he sits alone in the dark, worrying and waiting. And while he's wallowing in his misery and saying, poor me, Esau may come to kill me. Maybe he'll kill my family instead of me and I can hear their screams from across the river and run away with the other 50% of my wealth. It says a man comes to wrestle with him. Now, this is actually the part that gives me a hang-up, and I have always heard this interpreted, and maybe you have heard this interpreted if you've grown up in church or you've been around church and heard this story, that the man who came to wrestle with Jacob all night long was God. Jacob wrestles God all night, somehow is basically winning, um, and then the guy sees he can't win, so he dislocates his hip, and then still Jacob doesn't let go of him because if he's anything, he is tenacious. He refuses to let this random person who comes in the middle of the night to wrestle with him go until he gives him a blessing. Jacob is very concerned with blessings. And the guy does, he blesses him, changes his name, and leaves. And Jacob says, I have seen God face to face. And this has been bothering me all week, honestly. Like, Jacob wrestled with God all night, okay. But I just have so many questions. Like, was he wrestling an actual man? Was it an angel? Was it God in the form of a human? If it, why couldn't God win the match? If it was really God that Jacob was wrestling with, how come it took all night? 
Like, sure, Jacob is tenacious and determined and all of these things. We've established this, right? He fights hard. But couldn't God have just pinned him immediately? <laughs> like, it's God, after all, we're talking about. We're not talking about other than God. That sentence ended badly. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I ran out of words. So is this entire story God just letting Jacob win until the end? But that doesn't make sense either because then it literally says when the guy sees he cannot win, he dislocates Jacob's hip. So like deep down, I have always had this question when reading this story, like what is the point of this? God can clearly win if it's God, but God doesn't win. Jacob wins. Even when he's wounded, he wins the fight, and he won't let the man go, and he gets this blessing. And I have been thinking about this all week. Like, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around this, and I even thought about just scrapping it and, like, writing a different sermon, but I've had the luxury of skipping these questions before because, <laughs> you know, I didn't have to preach a sermon on it. But I don't think that's fair, and just so you know, I will happily say this every Sunday. I don't have all the answers all the time. And there are things that I will wrestle with in Scripture just as much as there are things you will wrestle with in Scripture. They may be different questions than you have. Um, but all I can do is be faithful to the text and really think through it and do my research and present the best interpretation that I can to you and ask you to think and make up your mind about what you think is happening here. So... This is kind of where I've settled after thinking about this all week. I literally woke up at 2 a.m. last night. Somebody was kicking me, and I was still thinking about this. At the end of the long night of wrestling, this guy, Jacob asks his opponent their name. And it says a person responds, why do you want to know my name? But perhaps we can hear in this, not the guy saying, why do you want to know my name, but this response. Why do you want to know my name, Jacob? I am you. Because for the first time in his entire life, Jacob is having to face who he actually is as a person. Rather than getting out of things, lying and cheating and stealing and using deception, being all, using all kinds of trickery, he actually has to confront himself head on. Honestly, he, there is no one else in the camp. Esau could very well come and kill them all tomorrow. And all night he fights against himself. What he is, what he has done, what he deserves to get for what he has done. His complete lack of honor in putting his entire family in harm's way instead of facing up to what he should face up. And I feel like for the first time ever, he's seeing himself the way others have seen him, not how he sees himself through his, you know, rose-colored glasses of self-confidence and self-importance, but actually seeing himself through Esau's eyes, who he's literally stolen things from, seeing himself through the eyes of his wives, his children, his servants, and his, the people who work for him, watching him walk away. And obviously, it's not a great situation. 
Like, of course he's going to try and get out of that. So he's fighting all night with his own self. And I'm not trying to strip God out of this story, just so we're clear. God is right there as well. God is in the wrestling. If Jacob won't let go, God won't let go of Jacob either. I think at, a ve- at the very core, God is the one instigating this entire thing, perhaps making Jacob face himself and face what he has done so that he can actually be transformed, so that he can become a different person. All night long. And I don't know if you've had one of these nights or multiple of these nights where you're just... You learned something about yourself the day before that you really didn't want to know. Oh, that's the kind of person I am. That's what I'm capable of doing to other people. It's It's easy to avoid those realizations when it's light outside, when there's plenty of distractions and your family and work and everything. But in the dark... When you're alone, the truth comes out. The things that have been pushed into hiding refuse to be suppressed any longer. When there's no distractions to take our mind off of it. And I don't think, it's not as though Jacob was wrestling with evil all night. He's wrestling with his own complicity in and his own participation in evil and what it has done to his, the people in his life that he says he has cared about and what it has turned him into. And it shakes him like to his bones and it permanently wounds him, but also it transforms him. Because, spoiler alert, spoiler, (laughs) spoiler alert, if I can get that out. Jacob actually doesn't face any consequences from Esau. By the time they meet up, Esau has long forgiven him. Is just delighted to see his brother after all of these years without his family. So he, everything he was worried about didn't come true to begin with but he doesn't get to escape the consequences completely. Because even if we, when we are doing something that harms us inside, and that's what sin is, right? We harm other people and we harm ourselves. And we think a lot of times sin is outward. We're doing stuff to other people. It does something to you too. It does something to me too. And there is no escaping the consequences of that. Even if the other person, the other party forgives you and says, I'm just delighted to have you back in my life. We can't escape what we've done to ourselves. And so forever, he walks with a limp. Maybe literal, maybe metaphorical. I don't think that's the point. I think for the rest of his life, he's going to be reminded. He's never going to forget the day that he spent all night alone wrestling through the dark night of the soul and the wrongs he's committed and how he doesn't want to be like that anymore. Because Esau forgives him, but Jacob's going to remember how his own evil impact, 
evil actions impact himself and impact those around him. And one more point, it was before dawn that Jacob was blessed. Still in the dark, still in the night, still in the worry and the anxiety and the hopeless feelings and the regret and the horror, frankly, of finally facing what he's capable of doing. And we try to get out, and I have certainly been there. We're like, nope, those feelings are awful. I do not want to be in this space where I have to look at myself, honestly. It's bad. We want to get to the daylight. We want God to show up there. That's where we think God will be. But God is with Jacob all night long, refusing to let him go until he faces what he has done. And we don't need to wait for the, you don't have to wait. I don't have to wait till the morning comes to find or experience God. If we wait, we might actually miss the opportunity to be transformed. If we keep hiding from every encounter that is uncomfortable, if we keep hiding from every encounter that is only available to us when it's nighttime, and I mean that metaphorically, although it does happen at night, literally. That's usually when we overanalyze things. We'll never get the opportunity to have new possibilities because it's in the dark that the new possibilities emerge. Where did creation come from? In the beginning, right? There was nothing. There was darkness and void and chaos. And then God said, let there be light. Then in the dark, God said, here is a blessing. It's in the nighttime that new possibilities emerge for us. We actually will find God. We actually will find the infinite possibilities. We actually will find ourselves. So my question is for you to reflect on as we sing a couple more songs. What is this time, what is 2020, asking you to ask about yourself? What are you being called to wrestle with that you might see yourself clearly the way that God sees you and come through the night with a greater understanding of who you are and who you can become and what God says about you? What do we need to face in ourselves so that we can actually be transformed by the grace of God into better people who care, <laughs> who don't try to get through life like Jacob did? And of course, we're all like, I would never be like Jacob. What an awful person. <laughs> We've all done stuff. We have all lied. We have all deceived other people. We've all manipulated our way through situations. We've all prayed the prayer that I don't want to face the consequences for what I've done. What is God asking us to face in ourselves so that we can actually go through it and be blessed and use our lives to bless other people? I guess just don't even when it's hard. Faith is actually really hard. I mean, everyone like says, sells it really easy, right? Like faith, all you have to do is say yes and your life is be magical and God will be with you forever and all of that is true. However, 
I mean, the selling point of faith is Jesus said, pick up your cross <laughs> and follow me. Come and die. You want to sign up for that? Come and face yourself. Come and face what you have done. Come and face what you have become so that I can tell you something new, so that I can bless you and say this actually, this stopping point where you have been resting is not the end. This place that you have been dwelling in of shame or misery or lies or anxiety or grief is not where you have to stay. You have to face it so you can go through it. And then you can be reunited with your family. You can be reunited with yourself. You can actually forgive yourself and have a relationship with yourself and with other people that is better and different and full of blessing and full of the abundant life. So what is God asking you to face?